We're looking at Hebrews 6. We're going to look at a lot of different scripture today, though. I hope you'll uh, have your notepad out ready to jot down the references because we're not going to be able to turn to all of those. They're going to, most of those are going to be on the screen in just a moment. As we look at uh, promises of hope and the unshakable hope, it's been a uh, kind of a tough, tough week for me personally. Last week I told you the story about the guy who was my big brother in, in Hereford who, get, who gave me the Shetland pony when I was praying for that as a little boy. You remember that? Uh, that guy died this week. He had a massive heart attack on Monday. I didn't know that when I was telling you that story that was going to happen. But he passed, Steve Hodges, uh, my friend, passed away. and We participated in his funeral yesterday. And so I hope you'll pray for that family. Uh, it was a great tribute to him, but also to the Lord. We worshiped yesterday. And, and one of the great things that gives me hope in the midst of all of that in the loss is that seven years ago I was able to baptize my big brother, Steve Hodges. He walked down the aisle at Hereford, received him. He gave his life to Christ. It was a neat deal. It kind of come full circle. And he, we, it was a real sort of deal. His life was transformed the last seven years. He's a good man before. But he was redeemed and transformed after. And now even though today the family is sad and the lost, they know that there's hope for him that he is now experiencing life like never before, eternal life. Death is all around us, it seems like. We have struggles, and sometimes as we struggle with those things, we think, Lord, what in the world's going on? Where is our hope? You ever feel like that? <laughs> like hope has just run out. What do you do? What do you do when you feel like hope is just not existent in your life? And one of the things we've been doing together is reading through the New Testament. I hope you, you've taken that challenge and are doing that. I'm doing that through the whole Bible. I started even before we decided to do that challenge. And, and I found in Ezekiel a promise for me this week. And that's what we do. We find the promises of God. And we claim them for the problems we're facing. And we turn those into prayer. You'll see that a slide in just a moment. And I, I want to remind you of that. But here's the promise I found in the loss of my friend. Uh, Lord, what? What's going on here, I asked the Lord. And he said to me, from Ezekiel 18.32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then and live. And that's God's desire. That's God's will. God, that's God's plan for all of us, that we turn from our sin, turn to Him, and and we live, not death. We're not marching toward death. We don't have to be anxious about that. We're marching toward, as believers in Jesus Christ, life better than we've ever experienced, eternal life. He's in the process, even now, of transforming us into who He wants us to be. And in the midst of living between these two advents, when Jesus came, and started the whole redemption process through his life and his love and the cross. And when he comes again, 
It sets everything right and straight. Breaks open that eastern sky, rides in on that great white horse. It's all going to be made right. That's the second advent, the second coming. But we live in the middle of that, don't we? And the one who came and the one who's coming still comes for whatever situation you're in. But there's a third advent, the coming of Christ into your life, your heart, him finding you and you finding him. And if you've never experienced that advent, then all of what's going on around us must be driving you crazy. And if you've never experienced that advent, then you don't have the, the peace and the joy that God wants you to experience in the midst of all that's going on around us. So as we think about those things, we look toward where we place our hope because that's what we want to do. We want to look at the anchor we have in our hope. And so we start by looking at Hebrews 6. And we're going to all read this all together, standing. It's going to be on the screen. Hebrews 6. 19 through 20 in this version, and I'm not even for sure which version, I think it's the NIV, but would you stand, and on the count of three, we're going to read this together from the screen today, I hope you can see that, I hope you can, if you can't, then on, in, in your Bibles, it's 10, 12, it'll be a, maybe a little bit different version today, uh, on, in those black Bibles, but I want us to read it together from the screen, if you would, one, two, three. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we have this hope. Oh, it's in you, Jesus. The anchor for our souls. Lead us, Lord, to understand some of that. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated as we look at a couple of, of the key words here. One is anchor. You know what an anchor is. You've seen that. Uh, you maybe even have thrown one over a boat, and you know why you do that. You want to stay in a particular position but you know also, if you've ever been in uh, stormy weather, that the anchor holds that boat in that stormy weather. That's the design of that. You see those, those hooks would, would grab, and it's got to go to something deeper than just another boat or something else on the, on the shore. It's got to go down deep. And so we think about what that anchor for our souls, that's another key word there. See, this, when God breathed into Adam, Oxygen, he breathed more than just oxygen into him. He breathed a very living, eternal soul. And we're different than all the other living creatures around us. I mean, there's some similarities between us and our pets. But the soul is what makes us different. The soul and its sentimentality and its patriotism and its heart for other people and its heart for the Lord. What makes our soul and us different? And the scripture would tell us in this passage we have this hope, this anchor for our soul. 
who we really are. What we really look forward to. What we really look toward. Our hope is an anchor for our souls. So as we think about this on Advent, as we think about this on this Lord's Supper Sunday, where's your hope? Is it not in a God who has a great track record? Who's never let you down? Even when we don't see Him, He's working. Even when we don't understand, He's working. The anchor of your soul is your faith in Jesus Christ. And what He's done. And who He is. And I hope He is more real to you today in the midst of whatever you might be going through than He has ever been. And He's real. And He cares. And He loves you. So as we look at this passage and the promises that it brings, I want you to do what I've, I've been trying to do myself. Is, and here it is in writing. Find a promise to your problem and turn it into a prayer. That's how your hope is increased. That's how your, your faith is increased. You search through the Scripture. That's why it's so valuable to read through the Scripture systematically so that you find those things, those jewels, those gems in the Scripture that apply to where you are. God knows where you're reading when He knows all the time. He knows what you're going to read next in that whole thing. Even if you're behind, He knows what He wants to say to you. He did to me, and He'll do it to you. He does it all the time. He speaks through His Word. It's not just some religious activity. It's a relationship. If you never talk to your spouse or your children or your grandchildren, would you have any kind of relationship with them at all? Well, we speak to God in prayer, and He speaks to us in His Word. So you find a promise in His Word for whatever you're going through, and you turn that into a prayer back to Him. And you'll see that your hope will be increased. And so I want to just do that together with you for just a moment. I want to you to consider some of the things maybe you're going through. I'm going to ask you some questions. And if these apply, then take them. If they don't, then just take another one because there are going to be several of these. The first question I want to ask you is, do, you, do your critics define your worth or, or do you struggle with conflict with other people? Then here's your promise. God said, let us make human beings in our image. It's not your critics that define who you are. It's God says, you're in the very image of me. And so is everybody else you're in conflict with. They're created in the image of God. Would that put a different perspective on what you're dealing with? Now, sometimes we... we we wonder about that. We don't 
We don't think they know that they're really created in the image of God because they're not acting very godly, and we always point to them, don't we? But then we have to consider ourselves. The second question is this. Can challenges deplete your strength or your resources? You think about the things that you're going through. The answer to that is no, because here's your promise. We are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Here's good news for you. If you think you're limited in your resources, you have access to the family fortune. You are heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. Co-heirs. All God's resources are your resources. It's just a matter of learning to access them at the proper time. Now, know he's a father who gives good gifts, and all of what you pray for may not come to you just like you anticipate because he knows better what you need than you know yourself. So here's a next question. Are you a victim of circumstances? You think sometimes things are just not going your way? You have bad luck? Not in the least, because here's a promise. Here's your promise. When a believing person prays, great things happen. Happen in James 5, 16. You jot those promises down. The circumstances of life get too much. Here's another question. Does God have a place for the humble people, the small people in, in this world? Of course He does. You bet He does. God resists the proud, here's your promise, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5. Can can anyone understand what you're going through in life? That's the question. Jesus can. Because your promise would be this. Our high priest is able to understand your weaknesses. When you feel alone, you don't have to be lonely. Hebrews 4.15 do, do you feel all alone in your problems? That's the next question you're on, you aren't because here's, here's what you need to know as a child of God, as a believer, Jesus says, or Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Romans 8, 34, one of the most difficult things about my mother being kind of confined is I, I can't go with her with prayer requests. She's always been my prayer warrior. I was the child that was most difficult to raise, so I increased her prayer ability, and now I use that prayer ability for the good of the kingdom, I hope, and now she can't quite comprehend all that's going on. But here's what I know. Here's my promise in that. Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. And I love my mother, but she's no Jesus. She's not the intercessor Jesus is. Do you hear that promise? You're not alone. We feel like that sometimes in this world. That's why we come to this place to do the one another, to love one another, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. You can't do that online very easily. We need one another. And that's why we gather. But if you're online, know there's a day coming you can gather again and we will be here for you as well. We want you to know that too. Thanks for staying connected to the people of God as best you can during this time. Here's another question.
Can God ever forgive your failures? That was a struggle my buddy Steve Hodges had. Kyle, you don't know what I've done. I said, Steve, it doesn't matter. God's grace is sufficient for you. He came to understand that. Have you? He says this. Here's your promise if you feel like your failures are too great. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So every believer in this place, would you just say amen to that? Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's another question. Is the grave a dead end? Just the opposite. You're afraid of dying? Claim this one. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When you've got that settled, all the rest is settled. When you know the worst thing that this world the great enemy of the human race can bring upon you, then everything else falls into place when you've been, like we've sung about, redeemed. And you're in right relationship with God. Death is swallowed up in victory. And so we think about the things that we're sad about. And there's lots in these days, but will that sorrow ever end? That's the question. Here's a promise. Sometimes we feel like it won't, but God's assured us. Weeping may last through the night, and that night might not just be overnight. It might be a long period of time of grief, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 35. It's coming. There's a joy coming. Last question. Will you have the wisdom and energy for the remainder of whatever God has for us through this pandemic or through your life? Here's your promise. I don't have enough. But the promise is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Oh. You have within you in the form of the Holy Spirit if you've given your life to Jesus Christ all the power you need to sustain you through all of what this world offers. God within you is greater than all that is around you. You trust Him? You place your hope in Him, death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment. All those things have been kind of running rampant in our world, but they cannot take our hope because they cannot take our Jesus. And all our hope is in Jesus. <laughs> Don't forget that. He's still the King. We're going to look in just a moment at how he's the, this great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the rest of Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. That, that means this. I'll just go ahead and tell you. That means that 
He has no beginning. He has no end. That's Melchizedek. He just kind of shows up on the pages of Scripture, and we don't know. He just kind of fades out. That's part of that order, but he's also this priest king that rules, and he's alive. And Jesus Christ is still on his throne, alive. Our faith is different than every other religion. Everyone else serves or worships the dead leader, but not us. He's alive. He can whip death. He can handle what concerns you today. I want to share a story from the book Unshakable Hope, Max Lucado wrote a couple years ago, about a guy named Jonathan McComb. Jonathan McComb, his family was kind of the all-American family. And um, they had a couple of kids. His wife was a pharmaceutical sales uh, rep, and he was a rancher, worked on ranches. God-fearing, happy, busy, carefree couple. Terrific marriage. Then came the storm, literally. A storm into their lives. A once-in-a-century flood in the Texas Hill Country. The Blanco River rose 28 feet in a matter of 90 minutes. And in its wake were, were cars and bridges and even houses. And they ran for higher ground and they got to the second story of their cabin. And the, the roaring, raging waters swept away their whole cabin. And so they just grabbed for a mattress, and they were floating the white water on a mattress, and only, only Jonathan survived. His wife and two children drowned. A couple of weeks later, after he had healed some, but he was still suffering from broken ribs and, and a broken hip, he spoke at their funeral. Can you imagine I want to share just a, a bit from that book of his eulogy. He said, people have been asking me how I'm doing and how I can stay so strong and positive in a time like this. I've told them that I've been leaning on my family, my friends, and most importantly, my faith. After church every Sunday, Laura would always ask, how do we get more people to come to church? And learn about salvation. And then he said to that crowd that was packed, not a dry eye in the house, Well, Laura, what do you think? They're here. A particular verse that I've always loved over the years, he said, has always helped me along. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I have no explanation for why such a tragic event like the flood takes place and lives are lost, but I know that God is not going to give us anything we can't handle. I know that we are here for a little while, but trust me, if I could have every bone broken in my body to have them back, I would do it. But it is not our call. Yes, I know that this entire tragedy... It's horrible, and I've been angry, upset, confused, and left to wonder why. And I've cried enough tears to fill that river up a hundred times. 
but I know that I can't stay angry or upset or confused or continue to ask myself why because I will find out that answer when my time comes and I'm reunited with him in heaven. But trust me, that will be my first question. You hear how many times he said in that I know. I know that God's not going to give anything we can't handle. I know that we are here for a little while. I know that this tragedy is horrible. I know I find myself saying those kind of things. I know I'll be reunited with folks in heaven. I know he's not naive. He's not dismissive of the tragedy, the situation that's around him. He didn't have a superficial, shallow sort of faith. He knew it was horrible. But in the midst of the storm, he found hope. Unshakable hope. No easy answers. But he found the answer. And he made the deliberate decision to build his life on God's promises. That's why I'm saying find a promise for your problem and turn it into a prayer. You'll be able to handle situations that come because we don't know, really. It's shown us, has it not? This whole pandemic thing has shown us we don't know. And so we need to rely on the promises of God. We need to do what Jesus told us to do when he tells us about persistent prayer. Always pray in Luke 18, 1, and never lose hope. Never lose hope? Oh, I don't know. Never be faint-hearted. Never feel abandoned or overwhelmed. Seems like I get a call every day or text, sometimes two and three times a day, so-and-so test positive, and I just wonder, how sick are they? What's going to happen? Oh, they don't, they, they don't need this. You? You understand what we're going through? But we don't have to be sucked into the sewer of despair. We don't have to lose one single day to anguish or anxiety or depression or none of our decisions have to be driven by fear or panic. Because God knows what we're going through. And He wants us to put our hope, our faith, our trust in Him. He wants the reality of Romans 15, 13 to be ours. Abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Abound. That's a strong word, isn't it? You know what it is to abide. No, it's not, that's not the singular of abound. But abound, abound means it's like when you're in a, a rainstorm and, and you can't see anything. Your windshield is a, abounded with water. God will drench our world with, with hope if we'll let him. We lived in East Texas in the Piney Woods there. Those woods abounded with trees. There were trees in front, behind, everywhere on our property. And, and everywhere you look, there are trees, 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 a lot like this area. 
Well, maybe not. Maybe we don't know what it is to bound with trees, but God will provide a forest of hope in the midst of whatever we face. You know, abound. Ever see the cotton fields right before it's harvested on a good year? All those little fluffy bowls everywhere. Bounding with fruit. God will supply a harvest of hope. Will we let him? Will we let him? It's ours for the asking. Here's how I want you to hear these words again from Hebrews 6. 18 through 20, the paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, the message says this, grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. It goes right into the inner sanctuary, the throne of God, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us as taking up his permanent post as our high priest for us. That's our hope. That's where we place our anchor. He tore that curtain. You know when he did that? It was the cross. And that cross redeemed all humanity. You remember? You remember after the cross at the resurrection? You remember those two guys in Luke 24, maybe guys, maybe a guy and a gal, walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking to Jesus incognito. Here is the Savior of the world in their midst, all power in their midst, the one who's just conquered death in their midst, and they don't even recognize who he is and what they have. And they say to him, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Isn't that our hope? That He's the one who's going to redeem, going to fix this situation. They didn't know who He was until, you remember? He broke the bread. And then they recognized we don't know if they'd shared a meal. I think they had shared at some point the Lord's Supper with him. Maybe in the upper room. Maybe there were more than just 12 there for a period. Or maybe as he did that. I don't know. But they recognized who he was. And so can we. We recognize who he is as we participate in the Lord's Supper together. The worship team is going to come and sing a communion song. But as they do, would you prepare your heart for all the hope that we have in Jesus? Whatever you're facing, would you claim a promise of God and just cling to that? Just throw your anchor into that promise. Just trust Him in these moments. You consider the things that you need to get right with the Lord. You consider His blood that's covered 
your sin and you prepare your heart for this meal that reminds us of what he's done for us and who he is. a meal let me reveal who I am I'm your Savior I will kneel down and wash all the sin from your soul I'm your servant I am all you need I'm the And my blood washes you clean. I'm the pure sacrifice. Let my life give you life. I'm the
night he was betrayed he took the bread and he gave thanks those words don't often come together in the same sentence betrayal and thanks but he knew what he was doing he was dying for sinners aren't you glad aren't you glad he took the bread I hope you have your portion he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, and remember me. The same night, he took the cup special Passover cup. Made it, gave it fresh meaning. This is my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. At that darkest day on the cross could become the greatest day in the resurrection. The one who has the power to redeem gives us hope. He can conquer whatever concerns you. We remember that today. Let's thank Him. Father, we thank You. Oh, we thank You, Jesus, for praying that perfect prayer, not my will, but Your will be done in going to the cross, fulfilling the purpose You came for, to seeking to save all of us who are lost. And help us, Lord, be about that purpose too. Help us proclaim in this community and beyond. What you have done for us. The hope we have in you. With those who are dearest to us and those who will listen. Any. Any who will listen. And help us live, Lord. In such a way that they want to hear what we have to say. Help us live like you. Loving, sacrificing, giving, forgiving. 
In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.